The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Now clean away this mess and get started on your homework. Right. Gosh, I only got my math to do. You know I don't want to fuss over that. Well, before you pin any medals on yourself, an extra hour on history wouldn't hurt. At that, you're no genius. Well, you can't have everything. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, June the 18th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Danielle Metz. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be well, we're approaching the end of June now, and well, before you know it, the kids will be all getting out of school. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah, here in Ontario, even before the COVID-19 lockdown of the province's public schools, students and parents were already suffering the consequences of ongoing teacher strikes. Strikes organized in a way that you never really knew which day of the week you could dependably send your kids to school on. Now, Danielle, you sent me an article from Harvard Magazine's May-June issue in which law professor Elizabeth Bartlett urged a presumptive ban on homeschooling, and that's something you've been busy doing for the last little while, haven't you? Yep, in case everybody's wondering where I was, I've been homeschooling. (laughs) Well, that'll be interesting to hear because a lot of people have been forced into that whole situation because of the outbreak, and apparently there was going to be some kind of summit to regulate homeschooling to be held at Harvard Law School on June 18th and 19th, but we're not too sure whether that's going ahead According or not. According to my uh, recent article I read, it's supposedly been canceled, but I haven't confirmed that yet. Well, that's the topic of our day today, and we will be getting right underway right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right social media links and our archive broadcasts. And as always, consider offering your financial support. Everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of the 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials, written by one of our regular guests, Dave Plum, who complains about the school system all the time on the issue of climate change and the nonsense they're teaching the kids in school about climate So, Danielle, where would you like to start with this? Educate us. Well, I will uh, (laughs) start off with what prompted this show and why I sent that article to you. Okay. There was a Daily Wire article that popped up in my feed. Ben Shapiro. From Ben Shapiro. And it talked about that article. And the quote they used was that law professor Elizabeth Bartlett wrote that, quote, the issue is, do we think that parents should have 24-7 essentially authoritarian control over their children from ages zero to 18? I think that's dangerous. I think it's always dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the powerful ones total authority. And I basically blew a gasket. (laughs) It's a contradictory concept to me. Parents aren't authoritarian. The government's authoritarian. And she wants to return the control of the children to the government. I find that deeply, deeply insulting because I don't think that parents are by nature abusive. 
or don't have the children's best interest at heart. I believe we're responsible for our children, and that's our primary job, not the government's. The word authoritarian in the sense of this context would mean parent has control over the child. And when the schools vie for that same authority, exactly. that's what they want is control of the child. And it has long been a maxim of particularly dictators and and people in not nice governments over the years who say, give me your child and, you know, I can control whatever he thinks the rest of his life. And that's how you create little communists and socialists and people. Sheep. Yeah, who, who uh, can't think for themselves. And we're sure seeing that in everything around us today. Yep. I blame at the heart of everything we're seeing today, our education system. Exactly. They've, they've trained our young people. Uh, to be a helpless, think that they need help, or the only other way they can get it is by throwing a tantrum. And that's what we see. And yep. they take it right into their adulthood. Yep. And they have no way of, of relating reality to their own experiences. Well, I think the issue is that it's coming down to a fight between the government and parents who has the control and authority over their children. It's been like that forever, but it's becoming more to a head now that we've been forced, quote-unquote forced, to homeschool our own children. I can say from my experience that it's been wonderful. I love it. And now that I have children, I see what kind of minds they have. I know what they want. I can cater education to them. I know my daughter uh, has been neglected in school. I can see it in the way she is adapting to learning. She's learning way faster now than she was before. My son, unfortunately, is a very quick learner. But I know she was being left behind while he was just skating by. So I have the ability to custom their education to their needs, which a school board doesn't have. A teacher with 20, 30 kids in the class did not have that option. And they argue about the socialization aspect of it. Uh, You go to school for socialization. Well, I know for a fact my children were bullied in school. I don't like that kind of socialization for my kids. Call me biased, but I think that is a, a facetious argument. They have friends and they have their family outside of school. They have socialization. Um, There seems to be a forced indoctrination in school, which I think is really the issue here. And going back after this COVID nonsense is over, and it is nonsense, there's some videos coming out of schools in Quebec and in Canada showing what school is going to be like. They're going to be sitting in these little two-by-two cells with all of their stuff that they need for school right next to them. They're closing the cafeterias, they're closing the library, they're closing gym. There's going to be no playtime during recess. Everybody has to be stay apart. The hallways are all going to be one way. You can't be serious. I am completely serious. Where, where, where is this happening? In Canada. And this is the post-COVID school era that they're planning to yep. have our kids in? Yep, which is why I'm seriously considering not sending my kids back to school. I don't want them in jail. That is jail. It's beyond belief what we've come to. And that where's your socialization now? <laughs> you can't go near anybody. Well, it's ironic because Bartlett, the author of this essay, says that, that this practice of homeschooling is what isolates children, right? And that seems to make sense to the average person. I know a lot of people would recoil at the idea of homeschooling. I've talked to some other parents, and they say, no way, i got to send my kid to school because he's got to socialize, blah, blah, blah. And I think at the heart of it, too, is that most parents use the school as a babysitting service. That is exactly the truth. Because if education was the actual objective, you could get through that in a couple of years. You know, my father used to tell me, and he was educated in Hungary before the war, and 
he saw me doing my grade 13 algebra and trigonometry one day and he looked at me like I was a crazy person because he said he did that stuff in grade five and six the same stuff we did in grade 13. Well when I'm doing the homeschooling with the twins I already have them on grade three and four stuff and they're in grade two because they they know it it's like I, I just point out this is how you do it and they just do it. So they're almost crippled to go back to school if they yeah. go back in the grade Or two. they'll just whiz through it and they'll be bored out of their minds. <laughs> and my, I know the sociali- socialization aspect of it. My elder son, who's supposedly in college right now, though he doesn't get to attend, um, he hated school so much. I would so have loved to have homeschooled him or let him drop out. But of course, um, you're not allowed to drop out until you're 18, a.k.a. until you graduate. And he hated socialization. He had no socialization at school. Every day was a dread for him. I felt so bad for him. And I really don't want my younger kids to go through with what he went through. And I just, I, I'm probably not sending them back this year if this is the way that they're going to be treated. Yeah, it, it's almost unbelievable that they would even go in that direction. That destroys, why not just leave the kids at home when you're, if you're going to get to that point? Now, the problem is, though, See, part of the public education system, I think, was designed to create a culture, a culture of similar-minded people so that you could have some cohesion. If everybody went off and taught their own thing, um, and I'm being devil's advocate mm-hmm. here, wouldn't that create social unrest and all kinds of, you know... I thought we were all for diversity. <laughs> Isn't that the thing? <laughs> um, yeah, as long as the diversity is all the same. <laughs> It's only a matter about your skin color, not your ideas. Um, no, like, and the thing is, too, when you go online, you can get the curriculum from the school. You can have standards. That's fine. Make sure your kid knows this by this age. Or warning signs. If your kid doesn't know how to do this by this age, maybe you should get some additional help. I mean, the resource we have the internet. The resources are there. We have YouTube. My kids watch educational videos on YouTube all the time. They're interested in something. Arika asked me, why do we dream? So we looked it up, found a bunch of kids' videos about why do you dream. I mean, everything's at your fingertips. It's not the olden days where you had to check down to the library. Everything is available to you. Yeah, but why do I dream? That's not in the curriculum. (laughs) Oh, hi, Danny. Come on in. Looks like you're having some trouble with addition. Now, don't be upset. You're here to learn. And we learn from mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Nuh-uh. Look at this question here. What is 2 plus 2? See, you wrote 22. But when we do addition, we don't just put the numbers next to each other. That's stupid. All right. I think about it this way. If I have two markers in this hand, and then I add the two markers from this hand. How many markers do I have now? 22. No, Danny, it's four. Mrs. Wells? We're Danny's parents. Oh, yes, hello. Oh, please, please come in. Now, don't worry. It is completely normal for kids to get frustrated when they're struggling with a subject. So what's this about Danny getting some answers wrong on this so-called test of yours? We had a test. Mm -hmm. One of the questions was, what is two plus two? 
Danny answered 22. And? And that's not the right answer. Says who? Says math. Are you calling my son stupid? No, no, of course not. Who are you to say that your answer is right and that his is wrong? No, 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 she's right. Thank you. Right out of Nazi Germany. You can't honestly tell me that you don't know what two plus two equals. You got it all figured out, don't you? You smart-ass little tramp. Ah. Uh, 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 uh. some kind of retard? All right. I I'm sorry. I am not going to be able to continue this conversation. We're going to complain to the principal about you. Danny is a free thinker. I'll have your job, bitch. Not if you can't add two and two together, you won't. <gasps> Mrs. Wells. Oh, sorry, Principal, I didn't see you. I understand you had an issue yesterday with the parents of one of our students. It did get a little crazy. When things get out of hand, I really need you to let me know about it. Sure. So how do you want to handle it? I guess you could apologize. Apo what? His mom hit me. I understand you told Danny he had a wrong answer on his test. He did have a wrong answer on his test. Yeah, it's not our job to tell students when they're right and wrong. That is exactly what our job is. Parents don't want you ramming your biased views down their kids' throats. That's not biased. That's how math works. You know what doesn't work? Your attitude. Look, maybe I can explain this in math terms so you can understand. If you took all the kids in this classroom and divided them by zero, that's exactly the amount of respect you're giving them. Something you'd like to say? You can't divide a number by zero and get zero. So now I'm stupid. Just some crazy administrator doing paperwork while you superstar teachers change the world. The next step forward in building an inclusive society is making sure that every young American gets a great education and the opportunity to achieve the American dream. Yet for too long, countless American children have been trapped in failing government schools. To rescue these students, 18 states have created school choice in the form of opportunity scholarships. The programs are so popular that tens of thousands of students remain on a waiting list. One of those students is Janaya Davis, a fourth grader from Philadelphia. Janaya. <laughs> Janaya's mom, Stephanie, is a single parent. She would do anything to give her daughter a better future. But last year, that future was put further out of reach when Pennsylvania's governor vetoed legislation to expand school choice to 50,000 children. Janaya and Stephanie are in the gallery. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here with your beautiful daughter. Thank you very much.
But, you know, I have some good news for you, because I am pleased to inform you that your long wait is over. I can proudly announce tonight that an Opportunity Scholarship has become available. It's going to you, and you will soon be heading to the school of your choice. Now I call on Congress to give one million American children the same opportunity Janiyah has just received. Pass the Education Freedom Scholarships and Opportunities Act, because no parent should be forced to send their child to a failing government school. Every young person should have a safe and secure environment in which to learn and to grow. For this reason, our magnificent First Lady has launched the Be Best initiative to advance a safe, healthy, supportive, and drug-free life for the next generation, online, in school, and in our communities. Thank you, Melania, for your extraordinary love and profound care for America's children. Thank you very much. My administration is determined to give our citizens the opportunities they need, regardless of age or background. Through our pledge to American workers, over 400 companies will also provide new jobs and education opportunities to almost 15 million Americans. My budget also contains an exciting vision for our nation's high schools. Tonight, I ask Congress to support our students and back my plan to offer vocational and technical education in every single high school in America. <laughs> to expand equal opportunity, I am also proud that we achieved record and permanent funding for our nation's historically black colleges and universities. So imagine the first thing on anyone's mind when it comes to homeschooling is some kind of standard that a child or an individual who has been homeschooled can bring to society in general? Like, what kind of credentials, what kind of proof that the child has the proper basic learning essentials that would be necessary to function at a job, at a, at a particular career or whatever? And there are the basics, and then there are those areas of learning that each individual can go after. But certainly when you talk about basically reading, writing, Arithmetic, you know, the, what they always call the three R's. Yeah. <laughs> Although arithmetic. Very smartly. Yeah. <laughs> but those are the basics. And I understand people have to register to homeschool you because there are laws that 
parents are responsible for the education of their kids. Mm-hmm. Now, education is one thing. Does that mean they have to go to a government-run school? Well, obviously not, because almost every state and province allows for some form of homeschooling. Not only that, they just demanded it. Yeah, they demanded it now during this pandemic situation. But in general, these these options have been there for ages. And as as I understand it, that's how people educated their kids commonly until public schools were mandated. I don't see why parents can't educate their own children. Because guess what? Kids educate themselves just as fast as we can educate them. Well, every minute of your life is an education. But well, yeah. What I, is but education, not, but, then? Well, Let's define education. Well, that's a good question, and I would define it as something more structured than just sitting around and learning stuff off of a TV. You've got to... Do you think so? I think so. I don't think you learn how to read and write and oh, do arithmetic and math well, without reading? some kind of structure. Well, okay, all my kids learned how to read before they went to school, and my first son, I tried to teach him how to read. He resisted me. It was a fight. You know when he learned how to read? When he realized that learning to read would help him play video games, just like overnight, he figured it out. Because it was something to give him an edge in something he liked to do. Now that's My interesting. Kids are the, the twins were the same way. What you're saying is that until a person has developed some level of self-interest in something, yes. the desire to learn is not necessarily there. You can cram it down their throats all you want, but they ain't going to take it in. And they're, in fact, are going to resist you. Explicitly because of it. That explains so much why school is so boring to so many kids because they're being taught certain skills and things that... They're not interested in. Well, it's not that they're not interested in. They're not ready for it yet. They might be interested in a year or two or whenever they need it, but... It's a cookie cutter thing. They think one size fits all, but it doesn't. Every kid has their own capacity to learn things or be interested in things in order to absorb the information they need. At different times and for different reasons. There's usually a motivation behind it. Wouldn't you be concerned about a child heading out who never got interested in arithmetic or never got interested in reading, that that person going out into the public would be very handicapped relative to other people? They wouldn't be able to compete for jobs as well? I don't know. It's, I think that those kind of people are probably going to be interested in something else. There's always going to be some sort of motivation, unless you're mentally handicapped in some way. Oh, yeah, that's a there, separate That's situation. a separate issue. There, and also, just to get by, they're going to have to, they're going to find themselves in situations where they're going to have to learn those things. It's just going to be a necessity. Like I said, my son didn't want to learn to read until it applied to him because he needed to. Well, how does homeschooling then differ from this term called unschooling, which I've run into? And I see here in Wikipedia that it's it's a term coined by John Holt as an approach in which parents do not authoritatively direct the child's education, but interact with the child following the child's own interests. What you just described to me sounded a little more like unschooling by that definition (laughs) than it did by homeschooling, you know, at least to the extent that... I've heard of the unschooling thing. That is basically the child turns his head and you go do whatever the child is looking at at that point in time. That is chaos. That is not, and that is actually, unschooling is a great term for it, because what you're doing is undoing the learning process. So there is a structure there. There has to be some sort of structure otherwise, but the structure can be catered towards a child's interest. For example, me and my husband shared the homeschooling duties. I am up with them first, and I start the first hour, and the first thing we do is math. 
we do math until and I sit down with them and I work through all the problems. We're doing multiplication this week. Next week we'll be doing probably division. And uh, I sit down with them and then we go over vocabulary, words and their meanings. And I try to make it fun. So you find there's like word puzzles you can find online that get the point across. So you make it fun so you keep the child's interest. Because one thing I've discovered, uh, educating your child is easy. Keeping their attention is the hard part. Oh, I learned that one. By the way, when you say try to keep it fun, is that for you or for the kids? No, it's for the, well, Because you've told me you've been having a lot of fun doing this. I have fun planning out the lessons and I do it every day. For the next day, I plan out all the lessons we're going to do. I try to keep a theme for the week. So like this last week, we did multiplication. Next week, we'll probably do division. And then I just rotate all the, we did fractions for a week and that kind of stuff. And I cut out for fractions, I cut out a pizza plate to show them what the fractions were and stuff like that. Teaching them the analog clock, all that stuff, stuff that's like life skills. Um, If we could go out more, that would be nice. It'd be great to be able to go to, you know, the library or other places to do things. And that would make homeschooling way more fun. But yeah, it's, it's, I really enjoy it. And it has to be what the school system cannot provide is catering to your children. Also, I don't I like a lot of things that the school system teaches. That's another issue entirely. And we can talk about, like, I mean, we live in this age of irrationality right now. And I mean, the race riots over George Floyd, the COVID-19 shutdown when it's not necessary, the nuttiness about climate change, gender dysphoria. Oh, yeah. And, of course, a big issue with parents in the school system is sex ed. Yep, I was just about to say, sex and ed is a big one. It, that had me thinking when you were talking about the structure, proper structure. And I think what you're getting at is in the same way that sex ed is taught, it's not that it's being taught, it has to be taught at an appropriate time. Exactly. And that you're dealing with age appropriateness. And I guess in a way, you were applying that same principle to maybe interest appropriateness on the part of the child when the child's ready for it. But sometimes a child's not ever going to be ready for it if they never develop that interest or... Well, not only that, but it's the timing is everything. Like I said, my daughter, she's not... Uh, inclined to math right now so I know when she gets she gets through it and I sit with her and we she gets frustrated easily so I notice when her frustration level gets high and I just let her stop and I distract her to do something else for a bit that is more on her mindset but when it comes to stuff like sex ed and those kind of issues my kids ask me the questions all the time with my first son in particular he asked me and I just told him age appropriately (laughs) (laughs) in schools they're not doing it age appropriately no and they're also teaching gender issues that are not real no and 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 sex acts that are not appropriate for children of that age they're not even sexual beings at this age they just want to know where babies come from they know that's about it and anything else you're adding on top of that is just causing confusion and sexualizing them way too young so is that something you've observed with your own kids coming out of school? I can't believe they Not so much so far because they've all, they're only in grade two, and yeah. that was it. I think they start the sex ed around grade three or four, I believe, is when that starts, which might not be a problem now. <laughs> <laughs> because you're doing homeschooling. Because I'm doing oh, homeschooling. Okay. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Alex Newman, great to have you on American Thought Leaders. Great to be with you. Thank you again. You're the author of Crimes of the Educators, and uh, you had a very provocative talk last night, and I wanted you to tell me more. What, what is going on in the U.S. educational system that we should be worried about? Well, I, I think we should be worried about the entire educational system, not just what's going on there. Um, 
if you look at the people who created it, uh, almost to a man, they all told us what their agenda was. It was to turn the children into little socialists, little communists, little humanists, and away from traditional American values, biblical morality, and uh, these really cornerstones of what America was founded on. And so I think the entire edifice is, is a threat to our freedom, to our nation, to our children, to our families. And when you look at what's happening there now, I think it's becoming even more clear to people. They're bringing in the, the LGBT indoctrination, they're bringing in uh, you know, the, the drag queen story hours. The, the stuff that's going on in the public schools today I think would shock even the most liberal, progressive parent. Um, half of the kids graduating can't even read. That's according to the government's own data. 50% of American adults now are illiterate. Um, this is mind-blowing. Right. Uh, Wait, how many percent of American adults are illiterate? 50%. Uh, in 1993, the federal government did a literacy study, and they categorized Americans into five categories. Uh, one being completely and totally illiterate, couldn't read a stop sign to save your life. Two being you know, basically functionally illiterate. Five being a good reader. Half of Americans were in the bottom two categories. Uh, they did another survey 10 years later, same result, about half of Americans can't read. And in some places, it's even worse. Uh, Washington, D.C., the government's own data shows that two-thirds, in fact, more than two-thirds of the adult population is functionally illiterate. And, and this is mind-blowing. You know, I, I taught it, my it, six-year-old it children It is mind-blowing. Yep. You, they, they spend 12 years in a government school. We spend, you know, $150,000, $200,000, and these kids are graduating. They can't even read their high school diploma. Now, anybody who tells you that's an accident doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, this is absolutely deliberate. Uh, it can be proven. We reprinted one of the essays uh, in this book here uh, by John Dewey, the founding father of America's government school system. Uh, explaining that, um, you know, basically they want to dumb down the children. We don't need to teach the little kids how to read, write, and do math. We really just need to socialize them, but we need to do it without people noticing because otherwise there's going to be a violent reaction. So we reprinted that essay in here just because it's, it's so hard to believe until you've it's, seen the evidence. It's, it's extremely hard to believe, but it just, it would sound like you're kind of handicapping the society and the nation severely. Why would you do that? It's, it, That's it, a very it, for, good forgive question. Me, I mean, first of all, this stat, I, I mean, it, to me, it's a jaw-dropping thing. It's been around since 1993. I find, it's just, I, I don't even know what to say. Um, and secondly, that it's deliberate, I mean, just strains credulity. Yeah. The, the story of how it all happened is in here, and I can give you the kind of condensed version. Um, there was a, a reverend, Reverend Golodet, who, who he was running a school for deaf children with the absolute best of intentions. He set out trying a new strategy for teaching reading because, you know, the way normal people learn how to read our alphabet is through phonics. Each letter represents one or more sounds, yeah. and so to teach a child to read, you need to teach them what sounds each letter makes, how you blend those together, and then how you decode the word. Well, deaf children can't hear sounds. And so this reverend who was taking care of deaf children figured out, hey, I'll just teach them to memorize whole words as if the words themselves were a symbol. Kind of like, you know, the Chinese writing system. Right. Um, you know, it's completely different from our writing system, which is based on phonetic characters. And so for deaf children, this was a really big improvement. You know, a, a very smart person can memorize hundreds, maybe even over a thousand words. And so that opens up reading to them in a way that wasn't possible before. Well, Horace Mann, who, who really was the pioneer of setting up government schools in America, he, he, started, he started off as the education commissioner in Massachusetts. He got this idea from the Prussian uh, dictatorship, really, that the government ought to educate all the children and equalize all men and get the Bible out, etc. 
And he thought, why don't we try out this reading method uh, in the new government schools that we've created in Boston? Well, they did, and within a few years, all the headmasters of all the schools in Boston said, we're not going to do this anymore. It doesn't work, right? The kids were developing what today we would call dyslexia. They couldn't read properly because that's not how you teach reading. E even a really smart kid cannot memorize, you know, 8,000 words. It would be necessary to be able to properly understand the written language that we have. Right. And so uh, that was completely discredited. I mean, you can read the essay today. It was the, my colleague who I wrote this with, Dr. Sam Blumenfeld, put together a book in 1973 called The New Illiterates, and he actually reprinted that essay that the Boston schoolmasters wrote. Uh, they said, this change proposed by Mr. Mann is not called for, it's not sustained by sound reasoning, it doesn't work, we're not going to do it anymore. And um, so completely discredited. I mean, just throw it on the ash heap of history, it doesn't work, let's not do it again. Well, then John Dewey, who I mentioned, he was inspired by the Soviet Union, by the way. He went to the Soviet Union. He loved what Lenin was doing, instilling a collectivistic mentality into the children. He wanted to replicate that in the United States. He resurrected this quackery that uh, Horace Mann had tried out, knowing full well that it wasn't going to work. So they set up an experimental school with Rockefeller money, um, and the kids graduated unable to read and write. And uh, incredibly, they said, hey, that's perfect. Let's do it all across the nation. So they put together readers like uh, Dick and Jane, which uh, handicapped millions of Americans became a big scandal back in 1955 because Rudolph Flesch wrote the book Why Johnny Can't Read and he blew the lid off all this. He said this is ridiculous. This way of teaching reading flies in the face of all logic, all common sense, and yet it's being taught in every public school in America. Something's wrong. And so this caused a national uproar. They were exposed. They had to retreat slightly. They said, oh, we'll introduce phonics again at least a little bit. And then again in 1973, Dr. Blumenfeld put out the New Illiterates. Another scandal ensued. Uh, and yet still to this day under Common Core they have children in kindergarten memorizing sight words. Now anybody who thinks that's an accident or that you know somehow after thousands of years of teaching people to read we forgot how to do it, um, you know, I, I just say that's preposterous, it's ludicrous. You're listening to Just Right broadcasting around the world and online and we're talking about education both homeschooling and uh, I guess comparing it to the public education systems that variously exist and Danielle, you were thinking about the whole idea of the right to an education. How would you look at that? Well, you have a right to educate yourself. <laughs> no one's stopping you. I don't think a right to education means that state has to provide education. I think it can possibly give guidelines for what level you should be at for your year. A parent's <laughs> obligation to children in regards to rights is an interesting one because you have to provide them with food. You have to provide them with shelter. But do you have to provide them with education? I think that you should, <laughs> but I don't know if you have to. You know, it's been traditionally thought that if you didn't, that was uh, equivalent to not providing them with food and shelter. But of course, when government officials talk about the right to an education, they mean a monopoly based on The right schooling. to state education. Not, not education, schooling. Yes. Two, two different things. And... I find myself forced when I, whenever I hear this term, the right to an education, you know, you also hear that saying we have a right to health care. But we, that's exactly what we don't have because all rights pertain to having freedom of choice. And if you don't have a choice, you, you haven't got a right. You may have the benefit, you may, if, if you even call it a benefit. Like we can all say we have a right to health care. What that means is we're all forced into a monopoly health care system. And if we want to pay for our own health care, we don't have the right to do that, right? Education is close to being that. But well, that's not actually quite. kind of what they're doing here. Is that's what she's asserting, uh, the, the Professor Bartlett. 
She's basically saying that we have to have a ban on homeschooling. So the only right you have to schooling or education is their, the government's education system. I find it amazing that they're even concerned about homeschooling as if somehow a majority of parents would resort to this. I don't see that happening because, quite frankly, a lot of what you're telling me would put a tremendous burden on parents a burden they don't have right now, a lot of them, especially if they're busy and working and you got to, you know. Yeah, the babysitting factor. The babysitting factor. So to even talk like that to parents who are in that situation is just out of the question. Well, apparently, according to the data, there are a lot more people considering homeschooling now than ever before. There's also the issue, too, you know, we talk about the value of education, and yet how often do we keep hearing that graduates of high school can't read and write? Now, how does that even happen? Well, of course, the problem there is whole language. Yeah, and also the no child left behind policy. Yeah. And, just keep uh, them going through the system. Which means you don't grade, you don't test. You think there should be under a homeschooling sort of regime some sort of formal testing of any sort? Like how do you compare Johnny in one family with Billy in another family there if are they're on any sort of so many footing? different homeschooling associations you can get involved in and I when I when I had my first child I was looking into all of this back in the day and it was all about you, you, there are groups and there are standardized testings within those groups there are ways to compare Johnny from house A to Johnny from house B but I don't think that or there could be government standards I don't have a problem with that per se in the sense that just you know, here's what you should look for, like we talked about before, the markers for where kids should be at certain levels in their growth. And so if you know there's a problem, you know to get extra help. But the government's not teaching our kids. The government's indoctrinating our kids. So I don't see why they're vilifying parents when parents have more invested in in their children than the government does. In talking about testing, when I hear about testing in the public school system, it's not about the student anymore. It's about, about the, the teacher. It's about the teacher and the system itself. EQAO in Ontario in grade three, grade six, grade nine. Um, it stresses out the children to no end because they make them study for it and study for it and study for it because it's a it's a value judgment on the teacher and the school, not the kids. So they punish the kids by making them. I remember my first child. He didn't sleep for days because of how much stress they put him under for this stupid test. And it took me till he was in grade six to convince him, don't worry about it. This ain't about you. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. about them. And so finally he calmed down. But when he was in grade three, it wrecked him. Really? Yep. Well, that's unfortunate. I hadn't heard about that. But I have a quote here for you. This one's from Ayn Rand on education. Quote, the only purpose of education is to teach a student how to live his life by developing his mind and equipping him to deal with reality. That's sort of almost the opposite of what you're teaching in schools today. (laughs) No kidding. And she says the training he needs is theoretical, conceptual. He has to be taught to think, to understand, to integrate, to prove. He has to be taught the essentials of the knowledge discovered in the past. And he has to be equipped to acquire further knowledge by his own effort. And then she says the Academia Jet Set Coalition is attempting to tame the American character by the deliberate breeding of helplessness and resignation in those incubators of lethargy known as progressive schools, Mm -hmm. which are dedicated to the task of crippling a child's mind by arresting his cognitive development. And it's interesting because... um, you know, we've heard books like Why Johnny Can't Read and, yep. and Leonard Peikoff's Why Johnny Can't Think. 
And they talk about this all the time, and they talk about how our schools are almost doing the opposite of what they should be doing. But here our schools are teaching all about racism and teaching your kids to be afraid of the weather. How many kids are terrified today that they don't think they have a future because of what their teachers are teaching them, that the world's going to end because of Oh, my of kids are change? terrified of COVID. Of COVID? Yeah. Holy cow, I didn't even think they were aware of it. Oh, no, they talk about it all the time. When the coronavirus goes away, can we go out again? Oh, in that sense. They're not afraid of catching something, but... Well, they were for a bit, and then my um, my youngest son went through a phase where he had a hand-washing issue, and uh, he didn't want to touch anything without napkins because he was afraid of getting dirty and all this stuff. And it's all because of what they've put in their head from the, the coronavirus thing. And I'm not sending him back to school in, under those conditions. They're going to be mentally traumatized. You can't go near that person. You have to stay away from them. That's just absurd. It is. But yeah, with the with the learning thing, you, when you mentioned the Ayn Rand quote, the theoretical, basically schools are supposed to educate kids on how to think, not what to think. And that is not what they're doing. And I noticed this with um, my son in particular. He is learning how to think very well. Like he can break things down. I don't have to teach him. I just have to guide him. And then he can figure things out on his own. Um, it's it's very impressive to watch. My daughter, she's more creative. She she comes at things from a different way than I would normally think to come at them at. But yeah, it's it's how to think, not what to think. And schools are so regimented that there's no way that they can facilitate dealing with each individual child. Some interesting stats for you here just to consider. Where am I getting this from? This is from, well, this is on homeschooling uh, mentioned in Wikipedia. But according to this, it says in 2011, a quasi-experimental study was conducted that included homeschooled and traditional public students between the ages of 5 and 10. It was discovered that the majority of the homeschooled children achieved higher standardized scores than compared to the majority of their counterparts. This is interesting. However, they also found that unschooling, that's another phrase, unschooling children ages 5 to 10 scored significantly below. Really? Didn't see that coming. Traditionally educated children, while academically oriented homeschooled children scored from one half grade level above to 4.5 grade levels above. Now, isn't that interesting? You're finding the same thing with the material being provided for you by the curriculum. You're using the Ontario curriculum, right? No, you aren't. I am not. Where are you getting those curriculums? Hi, we have the internet. Like, there's so many resources. There's teachers to teachers.com. Uh, There's so many resources online that have grade-specific worksheets that you can print out. There's curriculum you can use. It's it's awesome. The, the, the internet is a font so of... So when, when it says grade-specific, grade I always thought that literally meant specific to the jurisdiction in which a particular person is being taught in. Like, is grade 5 in Ontario exactly the same as grade 5 in California? I don't know. Well, I ta- I've been in contact with their, their actual teacher um, via email, and I told her what I was doing, and she congratulated me, and she was, I showed her what the results were, and she was happy. So I'm assuming that they've kind of just given up on the year, and they're just like, yeah, well, whatever you're doing is fine. What I'm worried about is what I think my kids' education is levels at. I don't care what the Ontario government thinks my kids' education level is at, because I know my kids better than the government does. 
In England, in school with the British kids, I looked like a complete ignoramus. Oh my God. They knew more about everything than I did. They knew my country's history better. They could find places on the map that I couldn't. And you blame your high school back home for this? Well, I came back here and I started to do a little research. Did you know there's a study that found one-third of young adults in the U.S. can't tell you which way Northwest is? Okay, but let's be fair, you can. Well, that's not much of a consolation. Less than 40% of high school seniors can read proficiently. That's pathetic. And these standardized tests, oh my god. So you decided to shred them? Eldridge Cleaver said, you're either part of the solution or part of the problem. I learned that in England, by the way. You committed a crime. I took action to ensure my right to be provided a quality education, as promised by the Massachusetts State Constitution and the Education Reform Act of 1993. Oh. Did they tell you to say that in England? No, they said claim executive privilege. The tests you shredded, young lady, are specifically designed in part to identify which schools need which improvements in which areas. The very goal Judge, is that... the data on these tests is so fudged. In Mississippi, for example, the national test showed that only 18% of kids could read proficiently. So what did they do? They made a special Mississippi test that showed 89% were proficient. And presto, they avoid sanctions from No Child Left Behind. So, the answer is shredding the tests. If the choice comes down to teach the test or shred it, yeah, I vote shredded. Oh my god. Cal. What if she is telling the truth? The truth? No big deal. I mean, if she is telling the truth, it's just that anything that our parents has told us is a lie. Anything the government and Palador has told us is a lie. Everything that we've been taught in those government education centers is garbage. Our history, who we are now, is all crap. But I care about the children, guys, okay? Because I taught in inner city Philadelphia, I taught biology. Halfway through my first year, I have a student approach me. He says, Mr. Vecchione, if you don't pass me in biology, I'm gonna stab you in the heart with a pencil. I said, let me tell you something. If you could bring a pencil to school and then locate my heart, I'm gonna pass you in biology. No child left behind. talk about what you think about my homeschooled kids. Number one, you think they're freaks. They kind of are freaks, but in an adorable way. Seriously though, they're not freaks. However, they were late to walk and late to talk, and if we had not homeschooled them and we had put them in a standard schooling environment, they would have been probably strongly encouraged, if not forced, to be in therapy for walking, talking, and all sorts of other things. So, they were allowed to develop at their own pace in a homeschool environment. Number two, you think they're unsocialized. Au contraire. I would argue that we are over-socialized. We have soccer four nights a week, taekwondo two nights a week. My older son is in violin, quartet, and orchestra. My younger son has taken art classes. Oh, they both like Shakespeare classes. <laughs> Name it and homeschooled kids do it too.
Homeschooled kids are in Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. They take singing classes, dance classes, nature classes. They play team sports. We do it all. Our kids are socialized. Sure, we don't have a schoolyard where our kids play on their own and tease each other and smoke pot when we're not looking, but can't have everything perfect. Number three, you think my kids won't be prepared to go to college. Untrue. While many homeschooled kids will stop being homeschooled when they're in high school to attend regular school, what many homeschooled teenagers do is start going to community college and taking classes. Then they use those credits and transfer to colleges just like other kids do. The truth is homeschooled kids can go to whatever colleges that they want to. Homeschooled kids can study for the SATs just like kids who aren't homeschooled. And the fact is, more and more colleges are actually seeking out homeschooled kids to apply to their universities because homeschooled kids tend to be very focused and they tend to excel in college. Colleges are now more and more accepting of portfolios and work rather than transcripts, and the admissions process is much easier for homeschooled kids than it used to be. Number four, you think my kids can't learn. Thank you for your concern, but they can and they do. Many homeschooled parents and many non-homeschooling parents have realized that optimal learning doesn't usually happen in very, very crowded classes with little time for recess or little distribution of resources for the arts, especially in urban areas where resources can be very scarce. In addition, a lot of teachers, especially in public schools, are teaching towards testing standards, and that's not necessarily the best way for kids to learn. Another option is paying exorbitant amounts of money to get your kids into private school. But let's be honest, those are essentially schools for wealthy people and a handful of people who can get scholarships. While that may work for a lot of families, it didn't sit well with me practically or philosophically. And you don't need an advanced degree to be your child's best teacher. The library, the internet, museums, and so many other programs can help you teach your child if homeschooling is right for your family. Number five, you think homeschooling is for rich celebrities. Wrong. I'm actually the only celebrity I know in our community who homeschools. Every other family in our homeschool community typically has one parent working and one parent at home. And even though I'm divorced, that's how we work it. Homeschooling is not elitist. It's not something you do because it's trendy, although it is gaining more popularity than ever before. Why? The schedule tends to be a lot more flexible. It allows you to be with your kids more if you wanna be with your kids more. And it allows for a level of involvement with your child's learning, which traditional schooling simply doesn't allow. Ultimately, we homeschool because it works for us to have our kids learn in groups of children of varying ages with a lot of emphasis on imagination and play and being outdoors. We get to help them pursue what they're passionate about and that makes us feel like we're doing it right. Truth be told, my kids can't imagine that there are children who go to school without having their mama or their dad nearby. And I think that's kind of sweet. Their sense of learning and adventure goes hand in hand with our sense of presence and guidance. This is how we show them how much we love, honor, and respect their learning process. And we simply love to be a part of it. Found some interesting information, again, from this Wikipedia article on uh, homeschooling. And they point out how for most of history and in different cultures, the education of children at home by family members was the common practice. And homeschooling declined in the 19th and 20th centuries with the enactment of compulsory attendance laws. Oh, look, the government got involved. Yeah. There's a surprise. And uh, but was still practiced in isolated communities. And then homeschooling began a resurgence in the 1960s and 70s with educational reformists dissatisfied with industrialized education. 
that's the perfect term, industrialized education, because that's what it is. It's very mechanical. It's very cold. It's very one-size-fits-all kind of approach to education. This I can relate to. And uh, home education and apprenticeship continued to remain the main form of education until the 1830s. And then um, homeschooling became a way to combat the secular nature of the public school system. Now, there's an interesting thing. A lot of people would say that homeschoolers is mainly being done by conservative right-wing Christians. Yeah, they're religious. Which right. you do not fit into that category. Nope. <laughs> but do you think that's true, that there's a lot of truth to that? Or is it uh, because whatever else you can say, there's a sense of value you know, personal values, uh, moral values, things like that, with which Christians and a lot of rational people, quite frankly, would mm-hmm. disagree with the with the high school and public school system on. In fact, they're teaching a lot of morals that are exactly the opposite of what morality is. Well, they're, they're, and it's a fear tactic, right? Oh, the religious right, you have to be afraid of the religious right. That's why you can't homeschool your children. But what they're really, like you said, what they're really afraid of is the moral teachings regardless of your religious bent or non, um, they don't like the system of morality competing with their own. When you raise a child in a moral system, that is going to affect the way they live the rest of their lives. They have to get them young in order to bend that to their will. And I think that's where a lot of fear comes from. This is pretty interesting. American educational professionals Raymond and Dorothy Moore apparently did a lot of research on the growing early childhood education movement. And they did a review of over 8,000 studies. 8,000 studies. Wow. And they asserted that formal schooling before the ages of 8 to 12 not only lacked the anticipated effectiveness that was expected, but also harmed children. You you think that's true? Yeah, because it beats the desire to learn out of them. Yeah, that would be a harm. And yeah, because yeah, you're you're not allowed to discover things on your own. You're not allowed to think your own thoughts. You're told what you think. You're told what you're going to learn. And you're, I saw that happen with my first son. He used to love learning. He used to love math. He used to love everything. And then once he got in the school system, he hated everything about it. Hated it. Absolutely hated but it. But they're not teaching math and all those things. I recall you mentioning to me a couple, about a week or two ago, after you started homeschooling, and you said that... Uh, your kids were already up at, you know, grade three, grade four levels and yeah. certain things. And I remember you saying, what the hell do they do in school all day, yeah. right? Oh, uh, yeah, go on. No, I'm, I'm just wondering what your reaction to that was, because what do they do in school all day? Well, I got a lovely email from the Thames Valley District School Board reminding me that in their age group and for their um, grade, uh, I think it was grade kindergarten to grade six or something like that, we were supposed to do five hours of schooling a week. I'm like, okay, if that's your requirements, what were you doing with the rest of the hours of their day? Because we do three and a half of structured schooling a day. What do they do in school? That's what I'm always asking. It's always about shuffling from point A to point B, getting your shoes on, hanging up your coats, going out for recess, going for lunch, going and doing it. It's all about movement and sitting down, getting up, going there, being quiet. It's It's all just busy work. It's all just busy work. Yeah, stand up, social distance, get close. Sounds like the COVID-19. <laughs> it's the COVID-19 shuffle. There yeah, you go. There, there you go. <laughs> and it's interesting in this same article that was in Wikipedia, again, this Elizabeth Bartlett came up. And according to her, 
Surveys of homeschoolers show that a majority of homeschoolers in the U.S. are motivated by conservative Christian beliefs and seek to remove their children from mainstream culture. Apparently, she doesn't think that the mainstream culture has anything to do with Christianity. Nope. (laughs) What do they think the mainstream culture is? Why don't they define progressivism? Of course. You're not allowing us to indoctrinate your children. Give them back. Yeah. Oh, and also in the the article from the Harvard newsletter, she starts talking about the fact that, you know, like people who can't read and write effectively are allowed to not teach their children how to read and write. And that's, you know, what that's what's happening. And I'm like, the disdain she shows for the average parent is appalling. Like they think anybody who homeschools their kids are survivalist rednecks living out in the boonies that don't teach their children anything and have no value. Ah, oh, it's just well, what about, so insulting. You know, not so everybody insulting. has great parents, you know, and... Yeah, not everybody, everybody has great teachers. Well, that's true. Another observation made about homeschooling here is it doesn't have to be an all-or-nothing thing. Homeschooling can be a supplement to, well, to formal schooling. Technically, if you send your kids to, to public education, you need to supplement because they ain't learning anything in school. <laughs> I had to do that. I had to sit down with my teenagers, my stepdaughter and my son night after night for at least two hours to go over all their work because they were falling behind because they weren't learning anything in school. So as we wrap up here, do you have any advice for other parents that might want to do homeschooling? What would you tell them to avoid or, or to do? First off, you have to want to do it. If you don't want to do it, it's not going to go well because you're going to have to have patience. Because like I said, it's easy to educate your kids. It's hard to keep them focused. And because they're at home... Depending on their age, too. Well, yeah, I'm dealing with seven-year-olds, so it's a bit different. I mean, there's two of them. So they tend to feed off each other when they want to get a little rangy. Um, But uh, you have to have the patience for it. Um, You have to have the drive to do it. You have to have the time to do it. See, I'm lucky. I work from home. um, And so I I can move my schedule around dealing with um, the children. Uh, my husband has also taken off time from work so he can help out with the kids and do that kind of stuff. And he does homeschooling with them as well. Patience is really the key. Drive and uh, understand your kids are not going to behave as well for you as they would for a teacher because they know you and they know how to push your buttons. But in the end, it is really worth it because you'll get to know your kids a lot more than you did before. You'll know where their strengths are. You know where their weaknesses are. You know what they like, what they don't like in a very active way. You're not just around them, you're dealing with them, you're interacting with them, you're, you know, learning what they learn. And it's it's a really rewarding experience. And if you have the patience for it, I highly recommend it. You know, I can see why the whole COVID-19 shutdown is frightening to people like Bartlett, because more and more parents are being encouraged to work from home, to stay at home, yep. to be there all the time. And that creates a greater opportunity for homeschooling. Agreed. But, uh, In any case, I think in the end, the purpose of education is to prepare everyone for our next broadcast of Just Right. So be sure to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, do your homework, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. Cheers. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes, everything will be Dear son and kinfolk, I take pen in hand to say we are all fine back here. How are you all out there?
Just fine, Pearl. That's right. Jethro, I hope you are making good marks in school out there. Ma thinks I'm going to school. Are you in the fifth grade like you would be here? <laughs> Doggy Jethro, I clean forgot about putting you in school. We're going to have to get you started today. Can I go too? Well, now, I think Miss Hathaway's got plans to put you in some girl's school. Can I go, too? 